hello everybody. Glad to have you. want to welcome you to another installment of the series we're going through as a church called The Story. It's a 31-week message where we go chronologically from Genesis to Revelation and picking up little tidbits, tidbits little, little uh, moments that, 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 that glimmer hope throughout that story. And we're seeing it's all one big story of redemption. I want to take a moment and welcome those of you that are watching online and those of you that are joining us uh, recently from uh, Die Ball, our guys at Die Ball Correctional Center. I want to welcome you guys. So glad you're part of our church family. Yeah, yeah. Excited about what God is doing through you. Man, I've had, just to tell you guys, had a great time the last couple of weeks uh, with our guys at Die Ball, the inmates there at DCC. And uh, just over 300 uh, guys showed up the first night and just continuing to see God move in, in those services. And can't wait to see what he does with you guys today. Um, as we journey in, I want to set it up. We're going to drink from the fire hydrant this morning, I know that for those of you that are with us and you come in and you look at the back of your worship guide and there are like 742 blanks, you, your, your, your heart starts racing. You're thinking, I put a roast in. It's supposed to be done at a certain time. Are we going to be out of here by, by whenever? You know, uh, give me a couple hours. We'll be fine. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we're going to jump at it. But in order to do that, I've got to jump right in. Sound good? All right. So let's, let's do this. We're in chapter 9. Of the story, and for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, the story is a book of selected scriptures. When you read this novel form book, you will have read 80% of all the scriptures in the 66 books of the Bible. It's not a replacement for your Bible, but it does help you get through the scripture and understand it very easily. I had someone at Dieball come to me, and sh and we get, we gave 300 of those books away, and I uh, had someone come to me and said, "I've always gotten stuck in like Leviticus." I'm like. <laughs> Me too. You know, like, duh, you know. And, and I've always gotten stuck. And he showed me He showed me the story. He said, I've almost read half of this entire book already. He said, I just, it's opening up to me like never before. So pretty exciting. So today we're in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, we are now about 25% in to this 31-week series. And we're in this little bitty book that if you're not careful, when you're skimming through the Bible, you're going to... You pass through it really quick, and it's the book of Ruth. And what I want to do is set the stage for Ruth. I'm going to give us three parts. We'll give a prologue, and then a, a part one, a part two, a part three. And I believe that you're going to see that this ancient story, it's really, to be honest with you, it's right stuck in the middle. In fact, we see on the map that the timeline of Ruth is in between Joshua and the first monarchy of Israel under King Saul. And in this time frame of about 350 years, it's war, it's bloodshed, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, go serving God and, and turning a cold shoulder to God. It's up and it's down. And there was this vicious cycle that the Israelites are in where they're following God, then they sin, they get oppressed... Uh, by their sin, that God uh, uh, tells them of their oppression. They repent, which means turn the other way. They turn the other way. God lifts up a judge or a savior, if you will. And then he brings deliverance those, through those flawed saviors, those flawed judges. And then they're living in freedom yet again, but then they sin. And it starts this six cycles in the book of Judges. And it's in the middle of all this that we read the story of Ruth. In the middle of Band of Brothers, in the middle of, you know, Saving Private Ryan, 
in the middle of Gladiator and Spartacus comes this book called Ruth, which is like how to lose a guy in 10 days, or it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's uh, while you were sleeping. I mean, it's like this, this uh, boy, I'm dating my chick flicks right now way back into the 90s because I have been dragged to them ever since I met my wife. And, uh, but this is like a chick flick, but it's a good chick flick, okay? So we're going to go through the little chick flick of Ruth today, and it starts with Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. And the Bible says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, these judges were to bring deliverance. These judges were to bring hope. Why is there famine? Because really, God said, if you'll follow me, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to take care of you. But you can see why there's famine in the land, because there's two different places in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17 and Judges 21, where this little scripture comes up right here. And it says, in those days, Israel had no king. It was just judges up and down. Everyone did as they saw fit. <laughs> Ever been there? Yeah, it's called 2018. It's called America, where everybody kind of does as they see fit when it comes to spiritual things. And, and, and God had said, don't go into the promised land doing as you see fit. They spent time years earlier saying, here's what you got to do. And he laid out the laws that they were to follow. And you read back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses, uh, God is saying through Moses, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, here's what I'm going to do. If you do this, I will do this. It's a promise. I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. Sounds pretty prosperous, doesn't it? doesn't it? He says, I'll provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful. Watch it. Or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. That's exactly what happened. And God gave them a preemptive warning. He said, the Lord's anger will burn against you if you do that. And he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the, the Lord is giving you. So when we read the scripture in those days, the, the Israelites did as they saw fit. They were enticed by the culture around them. And because of that, God lifted his hand and allowed the famine to come. And we continue on in Ruth chapter 1. So here they are, there's a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, that sounds familiar, Bethlehem, where we heard that before. Well, it's not Christmas time, but that's when we hear a whole lot of Bethlehem, don't we? Together with his wife and two sons, they went to live for a what? Even at Dibal, for a what? A while in the country of Moab. They didn't have plans to stay there. They didn't have plans to make it their, like, main house. They were just going to go on a little holiday. They are going to go on a little vacation. They were trying to get away from the famine, so they thought to themselves, if we get to Moab, maybe there'll be greener pastures. It's always greener on the other side, isn't it? That's what they're assuming. Now let's look at some irony in this scripture. Just the first two verses, right out of the gate, let's look at some irony. Bethlehem in Judah, the name means house of bread. So this man, born in Bethlehem of Judah, that's name means house of bread... 
He did what was right in his own eyes, and he looked across the lawn to the other pastures and thought, maybe I should go that direction. Another word in this scripture is Moab. That's a enemy territory. They had already spent time conquering Jericho, getting away from enemy territory, taking the promised land. They were walking backwards. They decided to take the trip to Moab. Write this down. Moab is the perpetual enemy of Israel, and it's only 50 miles away. Now, if I, I don't know about you, but if famine had struck the land, what makes me think that if famine hit Lufkin, that Livingston's going to be lush? But that's what they thought. In fact, that's what the man of the house thought who was from Bethlehem. The scripture goes on to say, the man's name was Elimelech. You got any Elimelechs in the house? Want to welcome you, Elimelech? Maybe Eli's. We probably got some Eli's. But Elimelech was in the house. His wife's name was Naomi. Now look at this, some more irony. Here's what's ironic. Look at the name Elimelech. Elimelech means, write it down, my God is king. <laughs> my God is king. And Naomi means pleasant and lovely. One is staying true to their name. Naomi is being pleasant and lovely. Elimelech is taking things into his own hands. He wants to be king. He wants to be his own God. He wants to make the decision to step out of the promised land and find what's convenient because he's tired of starving. He wants to do what's best for his family. And it seems like a good thing, but it's not the God thing. Can I say something to ladies that maybe you're not married yet, you're still dating, you're looking for the Mr. Right? Let me talk to you for just a second and say, if you got a guy who says he's a Christian, don't, e don't ever marry a guy that says they're a Christian. Marry a guy who lives the Christian life, who lives for Jesus. Naomi's pleasant and lovely, and they probably said, oh, Limelech, oh, man, his name means my God is king. He's going to be a good boy. He's going to be a good man. But when the going got tough, Elimelech decided not to follow God as king. He followed stomach as king. He followed convenience as king. He, he uproots his family, and he goes to enemy territory. What is he thinking? There's trouble in those woods there. Watch it, Elimelech. And we see the story unfold. Then they went to Moab and they lived there. It was just going to be for a time, but they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And she was left with her two sons. So now we have a widow that has two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the other Ruth. Now I want to show you something. This is how culture affects an environment. These two sons, not growing up in the promised land, not growing up around the rest of the tribe, not growing up with the other people that were growing up with like-mindedness, that they're growing up. These two sons are growing up. And who's the ladies they're hanging out with in high school? Moabite ladies. They don't got the Jewish girls to hang out with that have the like-mindedness. And guess what, guys? Guess what happens to these guys? They get attracted to women. Like it happens. And they're attracted to the women they're around. Can I say something? Another thing, you will never marry someone that you, like, don't hang out with. I mean, unless you come from a way different culture. In America, usually, you won't marry someone you don't just hang out with. Be careful, ladies, who you hang out with. You might end up marrying them. Careful. 
And here's what happens. These, these guys, these two boys, marry the Moabite women. And it's a different culture. It's a different belief. God is not the one true God. And here's what happens. After they had lived there about 10 years, not for a while, for 10 years, a decade, both Malon and Killian, the two boys, the two Jewish boys who married Orpah and Ruth, those two boys also die. And Naomi now was left without her two sons and her husband. She's a widow without sons. In fact, that's what Orpah and Ruth are, widows without sons. And it's here in this, in this prologue of this hard cultural reality where they have no one to take care of them. They're on the lowest part of the socioeconomic totem pole. They don't know what to do. They're stuck. How do you, how do you progress? We get to part one. And in part one, we begin to read the story that unfolds in Ruth chapter one. So here they are without their husbands. Naomi, Naomi has these two daughter-in-laws that quite frankly, had she made her own choice, she probably would have had her boys marry good Jewish girls. I imagine that Naomi grew up thinking about her own wedding and then thinking of the wedding of her boys that she would someday see and the wonderful celebration and, and uh, you know, at the end of a Jewish uh, wedding feast, they, 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 they stomp on this cup and it breaks and it's like this fun environment and, and yet she doesn't see this fun moment, she just sees the shattered pieces of, of what could have been. And word gets to Moab that things are beginning to change in the promised land. And the story picks up. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Pause. How many people choose a different path than God's plan? Way too short. They don't wait. They don't hang in there. And because they take matters into their own hands, they go across enemy lines. They experience the death and the destruction and the calamity. Had they just dug it out, had they just wrestled with the reality of the famine, it wasn't very long until God was providing again. She and her daughter-in-laws, they prepared to return home from there. Then Naomi got her two daughter-in-laws and she says... Girls, come here. Go back. Go back to Moab, each of you to your mother's home. She prays that the Lord would show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. You guys have clung to me. It's good. Go back home. There's no future for you in the promised land. These are Moabite women. They're not going, they're like, what kind of hope do they have? Widowed? Moabites? May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kisses them goodbye, and they wept aloud. <laughs> Chick flick. <laughs> it is crying. <laughs> yeah, I love you. No, I love you. No, I love you. Take, these, take this necklace. Oh, we're going to break it. Best friends. You have one son. I have another. <laughs> the girls don't stop. They're crying. They say, no, 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 no. They say to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, no, return home. My daughters, why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Because here's the deal. They weren't allowed to remarry unless they followed the law, and the law would have them marry the next son in the family. 
Now, some of you are thrilled that that law doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like, like, like your husband dies, you got to marry his brother? And some of you are like, hey, no. <laughs> it's, not a bad, it's not a bad trade, you know. Here, eat this, you know, like. <laughs> no, nah, she's saying, I can't give you any. I'm, I'm widowed. I don't have any more sons to give you. Return home. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. You want to talk about the bottom of the barrel, hopeless. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, she's, she's thinking common sense. Daughters, no. It's more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Just put that in the Rolodex. The Lord's hand is turned against me, she says. At this, they wept aloud again. The decision time is here on the dusty road back to Bethlehem. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, and she goes back to Moab. But the Bible says Ruth clung to her. And so Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, these two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they show up into Bethlehem, when they arrived, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, whoa, can this be Naomi? Like, it was hard to recognize her. Listen, when you go through hell on earth, it'll change you. When you go to dead ends, when you've got famine, when you've lost someone you love, it, ch it changes you. Grief had, had sucked the pleasantness and loveliness right out of her. They could hardly even recognize her. In fact, Naomi could hardly recognize herself because the next scripture says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant and lovely. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Notice what she's saying about the Almighty. I went away full. No, she didn't. They had famine in the land. But when you go through hurt, logic is out the door. When you go through a trial, a time of hurt and desperation and things are lost, you start, you start trying to make sense of the thing. And all she can do is see how God, we were full. And she's talking about her husband and her two sons. But they were in famine and they put everything in their own hands. Now the Lord has brought me back empty. Now write this down. Naomi's theology was right, but her perception was wrong. Her understanding of God being almighty, the beginning and the end, the all-powerful one, her theology is right, but her perception about God is wrong. See, it wasn't God that was causing her bitterness, causing her pain. It was actually the decisions the head of the house had made for the family that brought them to a place where they dealt with the consequences of stepping out of God's directives. And here's, here's what she's dealing with really. She's not dealing with a mean God, a mad God, a bad God. She's dealing with an almighty God, but her perception is that he's just mad at them and is, lit and, is, and is not doing what he's supposed to do. But the truth is the wrong direction always equals the wrong destination. You start heading in the wrong direction, you're not going to end. You start, you're not going to end where you need to go. You got to have the right map. And they, were on, they had been on the wrong map. Now some of us, let me, let me categorize this. Dead ends and famines in your life, it may be from some of these things. A mess we made. 
you made a mess and you feel like you're at a dead end. You've had to turn around. You got nowhere else to go. There's the famine. Things are dried up. Stuff that used to be good is, is not good. The marriage is struggling. The finances, what you were making incomes, you started living at a certain level. And then now the income is gone and you find yourself in this vicious cycle of, uh, of getting into crazy debt. And you're like, oh, it's the famine and it feels like a dead end. You, you made some decisions that landed you where you are and you're trying to figure out what's next. It's a mess you made. And a victim mentality won't help you here. Just being mad at God's not going, not going to fix anything. But a mess we make, and, and that's part of dead ends and famines. But another thing could be a mess someone else made. Someone else did something, and it's caused a dead end in your life. It happens. It, it takes place, and, you, and it can make us so angry and so full of resentment and so full of, 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 of bitterness when someone else makes a decision. It was Elimelech who said, let's go to Moab. And Naomi followed. You know what else can cause dead ends and famines? And this one's a tough one for us to, to, to navigate as Christ followers. Plain life. Just plain life. Because it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. And we try to, we try to thread every single little thing that happens bad based on something we did. And that's not correct theology. We see this in the story that God hands, has lifted. But there are also plenty of stories in the Bible that give us a well-rounded perspective of Jesus and, and God and his, and his work in that bad stuff happens. And it's just plain life. And you feel like the famine is taking place. But here's what we see in this story, and maybe it's your story today. When we hit a dead end or a famine, God's setting the stage for a miracle. He's setting the stage for what can happen next. I invite you to wipe the slate clean and let Jesus determine what's next. What's next in my life. And you can see in Ruth chapter 1, so Naomi returned from Moab. Accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, and arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You see the new hope? All of a sudden, harvest time is back. What they'd experienced is a dry famine. This is the beginning of some cool things about ready to unfold. So let me give you the moral of the story before the story. We could end, we could end right now. But we're going we're gonna to chase through this because I don't have three weeks to give on Ruth. We got, we got this 31-week seri series that I'm, I'm going to get through every single time. So let me give you as much now. The moral of the story before the story, number one, the pursuit of good things can take us beyond the borders of God's will. Good things. Elimelech's trying to provide for his family. Come on. Can you blame the dad? Sometimes dad, just trying to provide for the family is not necessarily all that God wants you to be. If just providing for your family never gives you a chance to be with your kids and you're always away, that's, that's going to cause some kind of consequence in the future. Many times good things can take us beyond the borders of God's will because we're pursuing those things, pursuing the good instead of pursuing God. Anybody ever been there? I think we have. The second one is this. Always pursue obedience more than comfort. No matter what, life's going to get hard. Life's going to be tough. And the easy way out is incredibly enticing. Don't, don't trade the promised land for enemy territory because it seems more comfortable at the time. Don't, don't trade a marriage you've invested years in for a moment 
of pleasure. Be obedient. Trust. Pursue obedience more than comfort. Which takes us to part two. And it's three key concepts to understanding this story. And right there in your notes, there are three concepts. They are the American tradition, a theological concept, and a little-known secret. And so the first one, the American tradition <coughs> that we're talking about, is this little American tradition called Sadie Hawkins. Anybody familiar with, with Sadie Hawkins? Anybody know what Sadie Hawkins is? How many of you say, I don't know what Sadie Hawkins is? Okay, okay. So we're, 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 we got some on both sides, all right? So Sadie Hawkins is the idea of like a Sadie Hawkins dance or a Sadie Hawkins winter formal. And the idea is this, the women chase the men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the start of Jana and I getting married. She was chasing me down. She's like a puma. Pounced on me. That's not exactly accurate. <laughs> Sadie Hawkins uh, it, it was birthed in the 1930s in a little cartoon comic strip called Little Abner. And Sadie Hawkins is this character in this comic strip. And she is the daughter of a prominent businessman, uh, businessman in, a, in a small town. And here's the truth about Sadie Hawkins. Sadie is ugly. That's the whole story. Okay, Sadie, is, it, Sadie Hawkins is ugly. U-G-L-Y, she ain't got no alibi. She's ugly. You're like, oh, be nice. I'll say, it's a cartoon comic strip. Come on. So, I mean, she couldn't change. She had to sneak up on a glass of water, right? Otherwise, the water would be like, <laughs> Sadie. So the thought was this, that the dad wanted to marry off Sadie, this prominent businessman, so he held this big town hall meeting, and he said, here's what we're going to do. Because I own all this stuff, and everybody wants to keep their jobs, and everybody wants to be happy, and I don't want to fire your parents and all this stuff, I'm going to have a race with all the eligible bachelors in town. And we're going to run this race. And all the men, you're going to, when, when, you hear, when you hear the gun go off, you're running and Sadie's going to chase you. And whoever Sadie catches, you have to marry my daughter. <laughs> okay? That's Sadie Hawkins. That's the story. So the gun goes off. They're like, oh, Jesus, give me the strength. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> I'm coming after you, Bruce. He's like, oh, God. So you got to understand that in Jewish culture and in way back in antiquity here, Sadie Hawkins ain't happening, okay? Women are not going to be chasing men. So you have to understand the story of Ruth and how Ruth steps out there in vulnerability in just a few moments. If we, you know, today it's become more normal, you know, it's like online or whatever, women, we're empowering them, they can make the, you know, I, 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 I get some of that, I'm also kind of traditional at heart, I like the guy to be like a guy and be a man, and, 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 and so like, you know, I'm not looking for my daughter to go chase down somebody and bring them home, we're going to have some issues with that, I'm traditional enough to want a man to be a man, but, but, but in Jewish culture, that just wouldn't even be thought of. So you, under, you have to understand that concept and how incredible this story is because of that. 
The second one is this, and it's the theological concept of the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was this legal term given in the law that protected someone who lost lost their, their, their livelihood tragically. It gave the opportunity for them not to lose everything if someone, a kinsman, a family, a guardian would come and settle the score or come and pay for things. In fact, it's not in your notes, but you could write it down like this. A kinsman redeemer, a good definition would be a blood relative who was allowed to buy back that which had been tragically lost. So that's what Naomi and their and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, are dealing with. They have tragically lost Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband, and nobody is there to take care of them. And so you can see that in a kinsman redeemer, they would, they would come back, and they had to have a certain, there was certain capacity. They had to be certain qualifications, if you will. They had to be a blood relative, okay, couldn't be anybody, had to be somebody important. It, it, not just a blood relative, um, they had to be, uh, 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 capable to buy back. So they couldn't be poor. They had to have the, the, the means to do, to buy, to pay the price that was owed. And they had to be willing. You couldn't be forced to be a kinsman redeemer. It was not obligated to you that if your, if your uh, uh, sister-in-law lost her husband, you didn't have to, but you could be the kinsman redeemer and make things right. And the way they redeemed things were in land, in freedom, in justice, and in family. When the Israelites took the promised land, the 12 tribes began to carve out regions. So each tribe got a region, and then clans within those tribes got sections or, or communities or neighborhoods, and then each family within that clan got little plots of land, got little, little areas in the neighborhood. And the reason why this is so important, we don't quite get it today, but everything was rising and falling on agriculture. It's the only way you really made it income. There was no other, there was no dot com. It was all chickens and corn, okay? Like it was, it was all produce, all crops, all ranches, and so land was critical. So if someone lost their land because they couldn't, um, because they, they lost their, their husband and the woman wasn't able to take care of it, a kinsman redeemer could buy back the land that they had even leased to someone else for freedom. Horrific injustice in our nation, racially driven in the slavery that was, that was a horrible, it has been, and will always be a horrible mark on our history. But the kind of slavery that we're talking about here was not uh, racially driven. Um, it was more of if a, if a land was conquered, the conquered people became servants to the winners. It was spoils of war. Secondly, there would be this, uh, in, this servitude that um, I would be indebted to you and I would pay off. So you would, you would give me a loan and that's where we get the proverb, like the, the, um, the borrower is servant to the lender. In other words, when you would borrow something, you would have to serve to pay it off. Well, a kinsman redeemer would come in and would pay for your freedom. 
so that, that you, if you didn't, couldn't pay the price, you wouldn't be a servant or a slave the rest of your life. When it came to justice and something happened to your family and somebody was killed and there was nobody to take up their defense, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a kinsman redeemer would come in and make sure the score was settled appropriately in the right context. And then family. And this one's a little weird. Like I mentioned already, a kinsman redeemer would come in, and if a wife whose husband died is there and didn't have any sons, the brother of her husband would come in, marry the girl, have sex with her, get her pregnant, and then the, the child they would have until they had a boy. When they had a boy, they would name them from the, the dead husband so that the line could continue on. That's just like... That's just primitive time, folks, that that's what they were, were dealing with. And so kinsman redeemer is huge in this story. The third concept is this, and it's a little-known secret. And I fast-forward all the way into the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the day, uh, right after the resurrection, Jesus shows up on a road, the road to Emmaus. And two guys are walking, and Jesus is walking with them, and, and they begin to say, man, this is crazy, this Jesus who died, and now they're saying his, his, his body's gone, and, and they begin to talk. And Jesus, they don't recognize him, but he's telling them stuff. And the scripture says, you can read that story in Luke 24, but in Luke 24, Jesus says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? They didn't understand it. He's revealing it to them. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? himself he begins to reveal to them that the scriptures aren't there just for scriptures the scriptures are there revealing me so here's what we know the old testament shouts shouts the story of jesus and we don't have the book of ruth because someone wanted a chick flick in the middle of the old testament we have the story of ruth because it shouts the story of Jesus. Here's how. The soap opera continues, and Naomi and Ruth are there. They're trying to eke away existence, and so they go into the welfare system. But the welfare system isn't a check they just got from the government. It was a process of gleaning in the fields. They got up in the morning. They would go in harvest time. They would find a field, and as the, the crop workers were collecting the grain, collecting the sheaves of wheat, uh, the 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 the, the uh, Poor, those that didn't have anything, uh, widows without sons like Ruth, they would follow behind and pick up the scraps. It was a biblical thing because God said in the law, save the corners of your field for the poor. You hear the generosity there. Like save, don't, don't just scoop it all up. Like give, be, be someone who gives just the corners of your field. They were already supposed to give a tithe, 10% of their field, but they also were to give the corners of their fields to the poor. And so they were collecting. And Ruth comes across this field. It looks uh, fresh, ready for harvest, and she starts collecting. And the owner, Boaz, Boaz shows up. He's the owner of the field, handsome, unmarried man, and he's the older guy. And, and, he, and he shows up, and his, he, Ruth catches his eye. He's like, who's that girl? Who's that? Oh, that's Ruth. He's, no, you know, he's a widow, blah, 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 blah. He's like, take care of her for me. Take care of her for me. And they, they begin to kind of spark up conversation. 
and they talk a little bit, and he gives her a little bit extra. And she goes home, she goes home to Naomi, having had favor with Boaz, and she says, Naomi, you'll never guess. She brings all this wheat in and all this grain, and, and, and she goes, man, I met the owner of the home. He was so nice to me. And Naomi's like, that's nice, that's nice. His name is Boaz. She goes, go say what? What'd you just say? Say that name again. I said, Boaz. Oh, she goes, holy moly. That's Hebrew. Holy moly. She said, she said that, that's a relative. That's like a, that, that, that could be a, and in some, some translations, guardian redeemer or family redeemer. That's, our, that's a kinsman redeemer. Just go, go be nice to him. And so, you know, have you ever had the opportunity, the door of opportunity begin to close on a potential relationship? 11 years old at junior camp, Christian camp, first day of camp, Lacey Wilkerson. Oh. Ha, ha, ha. Beautiful. 11 years old. <laughs> I, I like Lacey. And I didn't have the guts to talk to her. And Monday went, and Tuesday went, and Wednesday, and I see her, she's in the altar at camp, you know, she's praying, and I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to pray, but I'm also like looking at little Lacey. A man can tell the truth. <laughs> Thursday night comes, and I know Friday we all get on buses and we go our separate ways. She's going to go back to where she came from. I'm never going to see her again. I can't look her up on Facebook. I don't know what's going to go on. So I write her a letter, sitting there with my awesome umbro shorts if you remember those umbro shorts and my guest jeans t-shirt and a neon blue trucker hat with a big fat rope around it right here that said my god is an awesome god because back then the song my god is an awesome god was it and it was just super cool to wear that so i had all the pertinent pieces together to be a great catch for lacey wilkerson so I wrote her a little note. Will you go out with me? Check yes or no. Friday before we leave, I get the, I get the letter back. It's check no. God had better plans. God had bigger plans. But my heart was crushed. And the window of opportunity slammed shut. And there's seven weeks go by and the harvest is over and there's no more harvesting to do. Ruth's opportunity is coming to a close. So we pick up the story in Ruth 3. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, listen up, girl, sit down. We got to have a chat. My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. And tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. It's the end of the season. And he's just going to be, this is, this is the good time where they separate all this stuff. I want you to wash, put on some Gucci, and get dressed in your best clothes. Get dressed in your best clothes. I only have one pair of clothes. Like, I'm poor. I'm walking the fields. Whatever. Get dressed. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. Don't interrupt a man when he's eating. He's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. 
Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Okay, now, we're going to try and tell the whole truth of the Bible. Sometimes um, there are uh, euphemisms used. We don't exactly know. There's a little translation gap between English and Hebrew. And some scholars believe, I, I, I personally don't believe it's this obvious, but some scholars believe that uncover his feet and lie down is actually um, take his clothes off. I, I, don't, I don't think there's enough evidence to show that, but this is a very intimate, personal moment that does have meaning that's lost on us. Because I, I just don't know the last time, you know, somebody said, oh, well, did you go and lay down and uncover his feet? <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not like... That's not gossip after, you know, wherever. He will tell you what to do. I bet he will. So here's what happens. When when Boaz, all right, all right. So when Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and I love this, and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. I know that is like a scripture some of you single men are claiming right now. (laughs) All in God's timing, folks. All in God's biblical timing. Let it be the right way. There was a woman lying at his feet. Oh, Boaz, it's, it's late at night. There's no real lamp. It's dark. He says, who are you? He asked, I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Now listen, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. Now, like an eagle would take, his, take a wing over a child, okay? Like, like a mom that's having to slam on the brakes in the car <laughs> and, you know, almost gives you a heart attack by slapping you in the chest. Like, like her little arm is going to keep you <laughs> if you don't got your seatbelt on. The same way he said, put that, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now understand something, Ruth, Ruth is not a 2018 Christ follower, okay? She's a Moabite, polytheistic, multicultural, different gods girl who grows up in a very pagan, even sexually charged culture, okay? It is, it is very clear. She's saying, take me as your, take me as your wife. Take me. Spread your garment over me. Now, we're probably not going to teach this, like, on Wednesday nights to the middle school boys, Seth. Uh, but, but, like, that's basically what's going on. Now, watch the response of Boaz. The Lord bless you, my daughter, replied. <laughs> of course. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. He's like, you, you like me? You're kind of into me, but I'm into you. And they're like talking in the dark, and he's like. He's <laughs> a little excited. And he says, now, 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 daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. I'll be, I'll, I'll, kinsman, redeemer. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Listen to what he says here. Although it's true that I am a kinsman redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Do you see the opportunity that he pushes pause on? 
older man, unmarried, younger woman, at his feet, cover me, baby. And he says, You're, you've got noble character. And by doing the right thing, he protects and blesses her, and he protects and blesses his own house. You see that? He says, although it's true, I'm a kinsman redeemer. There's another, so, so, so here's what he do. Stay here for the night. Don't you dare go out and find that kinsman redeemer. Stay right here. All right, he, he's not even, he's not good looking, trust me. You stay right here. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your kinsman redeemer, okay, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do, I will do it. I will do it. So lie here until morning. I was about ready to go into little boys to men, but we're not going to do that. We're running out of time. So Boaz, the next morning, he doesn't have a Starbucks run. He doesn't go check on his fields. He, do, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't just kind of get around to it. <laughs> In the morning, Boaz goes and finds the family member. Sits down with a group of witnesses and says, hey, can we have a conversation? I know someone in our family who needs a kinsman redeemer. You're next in line. Would you do it? He says, okay, I, I, I guess I could do that. Well, she's a widow who's not been married and she's a Moabite and all this. He's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't say anything about all that. Maybe you go, maybe you do it. And Boaz is like, okay. Are you sure? No, he doesn't even say, okay, bye. Ah! You know, he's running. <laughs> be at the field, you know, be there at the threshing floor, be there at the threshing floor. He finds her, takes her as his wife. He had noble character. He waited to make sure things were right. What a story. And they lived happily ever after. But, but, the Old Testament shouts the story of Jesus. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, ladies, don't settle. Don't settle for anybody else. Boaz is right, but there's a better Boaz. There's a better Boaz for all of us, and his name is Jesus. And quickly as we wrap up, let me give you these symbols of who Jesus is. Number one, Jesus became our kinsman redeemer by choice. Boaz didn't have to do it. He chooses to redeem Ruth, a pagan widow without a son. And Boaz says, I would gladly pay. I choose you, Ruth. Number two, Jesus pays the full price of redemption. Boaz didn't barter. He didn't negotiate a deal. He was very willing to pay what it cost. And we don't have a substitute we don't have kind of what just did the job. But the son of the living God goes through the crucifixion, goes through the cross, goes through the pain and the suffering and the shame to pay the price for us. He's our kinsman redeemer. And he paid the full price for you and for me. Number three, Jesus restores our lost inheritance. 
Way back in the garden, we got kicked out of the garden because we chose, we chose poorly that we wanted to be on the throne of our lives and not God. And we listened to the enemy's lies. We, we swallowed them hook, line, and seeker saying, I can be like God. I'm going to sit on the throne of my heart. And ever since, we've lost something. But Jesus makes it right, brings the bridge back to God. And it's not a garden of Eden. It's a new heaven and new earth someday. In fact, Jesus... It's not about what you could ever do. He says himself, I'm preparing a place for you. That when I come again, I'll receive you, that you can be where I am. He restores the lost inheritance, just like Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi with no future. Number four, Jesus frees us from our slavery to sin. He gives us a way out of the vicious cycle that we can live above that cycle. Does it mean that you're, that listen, every Christian you're gonna struggle with sin until you die. I, I, there, is, there, there is not a saint, and if you, and if you say you are, your, your issue is, is uh, um, naivety. You're gonna struggle with sin issues till you die. Doesn't mean you're gonna be stuck in some kind of crazy habit of sin. But we're all, we all fall short. We're all like sheep and we go astray and he frees us from the slavery to sin. And Jesus offers new relationship and a new future. What future does a pagan woman in Israel have as a widow without a son? Her future was simply finding one field after the next, picking up scraps, fighting off the dogs and eking out an existence. But Boaz gives her a new hope and future, just like Jesus does. And look at this last scripture. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The cycle had been broken. New hope was there. The women that couldn't recognize Naomi months earlier, the women said to Naomi, Oh, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. They didn't realize they were speaking prophetically. Because then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him, her grandson. Her grandson, who was not only her grandchild, but was also her future her social security, her, her, her bloodline through her husband. She cared for that child. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. What a beautiful, what a beautiful way God works. But you would miss a very important, very important detail if you didn't read the last part of the scripture of this story, because the very next scripture says this, they named him Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And David would later become the greatest king of Israel until the greatest king of kings would come from the line of the tribe of Judah. A woman who's a widow without a son, pagan, lost, struggling, 
a kinsman redeemer comes and she finds herself in the family tree of the Messiah. Who does, who, who tells that kind of story? <laughs> Our kinsman redeemer. So no matter what your past looks like, no matter what kind of junk, no matter what kind of dead end or famine, Jesus shows us through the story of Ruth, you can be just as much part of the family. And so can I. And so can the next generation. All who call in the name of the Lord, he covers them with their wings. Brings them in. Amen. Right where you are watching and right here, would you just close your eyes? This is time where you do business with God. Not, not with me, but I want to help facilitate that conversation. If you're here today, either in the room or in one of our rooms, one of my staff is going to come join me on the front. And if you're here today and you say, man... Not only has it been kind of a famine or a dead end or struggle, but I'm at a place where, to be honest with you, I need Jesus. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you and you say, Pastor, would you help me, would you help me make things right with God? Yeah, I can't do it for you, but I can guide you. And whether you're listening on video or you're, you're right here, if you, if you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life and you haven't asked him or been, it's a, been a long time and you've drifted, but you want to renew a relationship with him today, right now, put a hand right up in the air. I need to renew a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need, I need him as my kinsman redeemer. Yeah, hands all over this room. We see you right where you are. You can put your hands down. Let me pray with you. In your own words, you'd say, Jesus, thank you for not being mad at me today but loving me so much you gave me this moment. I make a terrible savior for myself. Only you can fix my past. Only you can give me a fresh start. You are the reason for living. You gave us your word to show us your story, your love, your plan. And I don't want to keep living my own plan. I, I give control to you be the Lord of my life forgive me and give me a fresh start and when I say those words Lord I'm going to mean them and I'm going to believe them because you are who you say you are and I can trust you thank you Jesus I surrender everything to you eyes closed, heads still bowed you're here and you feel like you've been in a famine you feel like it's been a struggle and you want to lean into Jesus today, and you'd just like me to pray with you or one of our pastors at our location, would you just put a hand up in the air? I, I, need, I need prayer. I'm in a famine. I'm in a dead end right now. I need guidance. Jesus, you are the great leader, the guide, the shepherd who leads us. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. 
<laughs> you're the Savior. You're born in Bethlehem. It's the house of bread, and you are the bread of life. And for every famine that is being experienced by the men and women and the sound of my voice, as we receive more of you, surrender to you, be the bread of life that brings us to tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.